Coming up on this week's show, we're joined by Coastal Magic featured author Kiernan Kelly. This is the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. Each week, we bring you exclusive author interviews, book recommendations, and explore the latest in gay pop culture. Welcome, everyone, to episode 174 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Will from willcanus.com, and with me, as always, is my co-host and husband, Mr. Jeff Adams. Hi, everybody. This week's episode of the podcast is brought to you in part by our remarkable group of supporters on Patreon. A big thank you to Pranthi, Rebecca, and Marielle for joining us recently. We'll have more information on how you can join them at the end of the show, along with a sneak peek of what we have coming up for you next week. So you might want to stick around and see what's what. (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) As for what has been going on this past week, I quickly want to mention uh, author Krista Tomlinson. Now, she was on the show back in episode 138 uh, this past spring, and... uh, she sort of teased that she was playing with a sort of um, a sci-fi romance idea. Mm-hmm. Well, the time has now come. That sci-fi romance has come to fruition and has been released out into the world. How do I know this? Well, Krista actually has a YouTube channel. So I highly recommend everyone uh, go to YouTube um, after watching this episode, of course, uh, and search Krista Tomlinson. And she recently released a, a video called Why Space? And in it, she sort of talks about the fruition of her uh, Alpha Omega Force series. And she kind of, uh, she explores some of her geek cred. Um, and I mean that in the the best way possible. Um, Krista is a, a hardcore nerd on some stuff, <laughs> and she explains that in her video, uh, as well as um, what the new series is all about. It's sort of a mix of Voltron meets Star Wars meets MM Romance. Ooh. Um, I've downloaded the books, and they are on my TBR right now as we speak, and I'm really looking forward to them. Uh, If you would like to know a little bit more about uh, Krista Tomlinson's new series, I highly recommend you either go to her YouTube channel, or, of course, you can always check out the show notes for this episode. Where can they find that, Jeff? BigGayFictionPodcast.com. Fantastic. Yes. Uh, I'm excited to announce that uh, I have been... Uh, brought into a group of hockey romance authors uh, who actually operate a website called, appropriately, HockeyRomance.com. There's 22 authors here, including myself, um, including some of my very favorites, uh, Violosi, RJ Scott, uh, Samantha Wayland, uh, to name just a few. I've also discovered some new authors here. And it's a great mix of uh, authors who write gay romance, such as myself, along with those who write straight romance. So we've all kind of put everything, all of our stuff together into this one website. I'm making my first guest blog post uh, this coming Wednesday, February 6th. And of course, I'll have the link for that in the show notes. Although, if you're here on Monday, it won't work until Wednesday. So do come back. Uh, but if hockey romance is your jam, you should check out hockeyromance.com. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, a quick note. Jeff and I went to the movies. Mm-hmm. There you <laughs> now- go. End of note. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, as some of you may have remembered, uh, in the, like last week's episode, we spoke about how January sort of waylaid us. Uh, so we've been, you know, catching up on some pop culture. So we went to the movies and saw Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. 
Uh, and both of us, I can safely say, adored it to pieces. Oh God, it's so good. And I actually, I don't think it is a bold thing to say at all. I think it might possibly be the best Spider-Man movie ever. Yeah. It's guys. It's if you haven't seen, we're really late to the party on this. We, we are. We know. But <laughs> if you haven't seen it, please give uh, Into the Spider Verse a try. Um, it's been out for several weeks now. Maybe it's playing like a dollar theater near you. Um, it's probably going to be on demand like any any day now. Um, but uh, please give it a chance. Uh, I was so glad to see Miles Morales get his own movie. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people were a teensy bit disappointed when uh, when uh, Spider Man was sort of folded into the Avengers. That it was you know another uh, another iteration of Peter Parker. Um, but I'm so glad um, they made this movie. It's funny and it's heartfelt. And even if like uh, superhero, you know, movies aren't your jam, I think you should give this movie a try. Yeah, there's a lot more going on there than a superhero story. Yeah, uh, and I want more. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Get to work on that, Hollywood. <laughs> yes. Uh, and an important note uh, to everyone who is considering uh, Gay Romlet this year. Uh, GRL registration is coming up in just two weeks on Saturday, February 16th uh, for the conference that will be in middle October uh, in Albuquerque this year. We're very excited that it swam back to the West Coast near us. Uh, registration dates are there, uh, plus all the changes. There are many changes to the author tracks this year that are happening. Um there's a first look at the schedule. It's all there at gayrumlet.com. So check that out, and hopefully we will see you in Albuquerque in the fall. In the hockey player's heart, the feel-good gay romance by Jeff Adams and Will Knaus, hockey star Caleb Carter returns to his hometown to recover from an injury. He never expects to run into his one-time crush at a grade school fundraiser. Seeing Aaron Price hits him hard, like being checked into the boards. The attraction is still there, even after all these years, and Caleb decides to make a play for the school teacher. You miss 100% of the shots you never take, right? Aaron has been burned by love before and can't imagine what a celebrity like Caleb could possibly see in a guy like him. Their differences are just too great. But as Aaron spends more time with Caleb, he begins to wonder if he might have what it takes to win the hockey player's heart. Get the hockey player's heart in ebook, paperback, or as an audiobook performed by me, Finn Sterling, wherever you buy books. So before we get into the books, we need to talk about what was on Fox last Sunday with Rent Live. Uh, I have a long history with this show, going back to 96 when it first started cropping up on TV clips when it made its Broadway debut. Uh, we got to see the original cast in September of 96, and I've seen the show somewhere between 15 and 20 times uh, live on stage in the in the intervening 20 years, uh, most recently with the 20th anniversary tour back in 2017 uh, when it was in our area. Uh, I will say, and I know I'm in the minority here from what I've seen, I adored this production. Um, I loved the industrial warehouse set thing that they had, which took the original scaffoldings and table scenario and blew it hugely across uh, a massive swath of space. Um, I do not understand all of the small edits to lyric and script that happened, but I thought many of those helped clarify a story that is often quite honestly muddled 
no matter how much I love this show, and it is one of my very favorite musicals, its story is muddled, to be fair. And some of the things that happened help clarify the story connections. Um, Brandon Victor Dixon as Collins was amazing. He earned his Emmy in Jesus Christ Superstar last year. And give that man another one for his portrayal of Collins. Um, his amazing rendition of I'll Cover You, the reprise in the second act, uh, truly devastated me uh, because it was so spot on. As was, I thought, the staging of the funeral service uh, was ideal. Um, also in casting, Jordan Fisher and Vanessa Hudgens. I know people were like, huh? Uh, I love them both. I would love to see Jordan on stage being Mark. He was so good. Uh, and Vanessa brought an interesting playfulness um, to uh, Maureen that I thought was fun. Over the Moon was truly bizarre and over the top, and I loved it. Uh, one of the things they got to do on the TV version was a larger band. Typically, Rent plays with uh, a five-man rock band. And here, I believe I read somewhere that the uh, the band slash orchestra went up to 27. And there was truly some wonderful moments uh, with this larger orchestration that was done. Uh, one of my favorite new pieces in the arrangement was actually Seasons of Love. Uh, and I know a lot of people I read uh, were dismayed that it didn't essentially carry through where it's everybody singing it. But there was something very intimate and powerful with Mark starting the song solo and then it building into something that involved everybody else. Um, I was curious going into it too, what Fox was going to let them get away with um, in terms of some of the language, because it gets a little salty uh, at times. Uh, we discovered in the nine o'clock hour on Fox that you can't say dildo. Uh, that particular lyric in La Vie Boheme was swapped out to latex. But in that same song, you could say mucho masturbation and the line uh, to Faggots, Leslie's Dykes, Crossdressers 2 was preserved in its entirety. And I was really thinking that they would cut out the word faggots um, from primetime television, but they did not. Um, so, yeah, I've bought the soundtrack. Um, I've actually watched the show essentially twice since it aired. And I am definitely on board with this being incredible. And I hope that the DVD and most importantly, I hope they do two versions of the DVD because what the home audience saw uh, which was primarily the recorded dress rehearsal because of the actor who got injured. Uh, they were doing a concert version to the live audience who was there for the recording, which I've seen pieces of from Fox. And it looks awesome, too. So please put the D put both on the DVD. What were your thoughts? As, as you were... <laughs> as you were moving through your uh, different bullet points, I realized I should have... You were doing your classic thing where you are giving your opinion on something without actually telling people what it is. There are, in fact, people on planet Earth who haven't seen Rent and have no idea what the hell you just talked about. Um, Rent, for those who don't know, let me just go back just a teeny bit. Um, Rent, for those who don't know, is a Broadway show. Uh, it is a modern day rock. I, I'm not going to say opera. It's a, a rock, rock themed show. Uh, based loosely on La Boheme, the classic opera. And it's about a group of friends, uh, artists, who are struggling with life uh, in the early 90s during the uh, pinnacle of the AIDS epidemic uh, and the sort of trials and tribulations that they all face. Um, the 
show has had uh, many iterations, uh, most of which Jeff has seen. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my opinion on uh, Rent Live on Fox, uh, I loved it to pieces. I thought it was uh, wonderfully cast. Uh, I thought everyone was really wonderful, uh, smart and funny and genuine. They brought um, a lot of life to the characters. What I think is missing from the movie version uh, in my humble opinion, is there is a certain energy when you go to see uh, Rent live on stage. And I thought that energy translated well mm-hmm. to this particular production. It really came across. Because even though I'm not as obsessed with it as you, I I mean, as long as we've been together, I don't completely understand your... Uh, <laughs> your your obsession's a good word. Your deep emotional connection to this movie. I don't. I still don't quite get it, but I do like this show a lot. And when we went and saw the the twentieth anniversary tour, I sort of went along just to humor you. But when we sat there in the auditorium, I realized, oh yeah, this is a good show. I really like this. <laughs> and in part is because that show has a sort of a vibrancy and an energy. And like I said, I thought um, this particular television production uh, captured that. Uh, and really quickly, um, I really enjoyed the reorchestration, uh, especially the strings. I thought it opened the score up a little bit. Uh, and especially, I think it was like in both versions of I'll Cover You, I think mm-hmm. the strings added a little bit more, more it, it felt more romantic. Mm-hmm. I would I would agree with that because I'll cover you is really the only you know love song in the entire show, um, and it kind of felt like a little a little more cinematic, a little a little bigger. Mm-hmm. So I really enjoyed that. I think Rent Live had an awful awful lot to offer. Um, you know, it wasn't a hundred percent perfect, uh, but nothing ever is. Right. <laughs> so I think the haters are are definitely wrong uh, on this point. Yeah, it's really, really good. Something else that was actually within the show, uh, in the commercials, we got the first sneak peek of FX's new uh, limited series, Fosse Verdon, that is coming from uh, Ryan Murphy. Yeah. Yeah. It's coming in April uh, and tells the story of the choreographer, uh, Bob Fosse, and his muse, uh, Gwen Verdon. It looked so good. That's coming in April, and I'm, I'm sure we will talk about that a lot more once that starts airing. Yeah. Looking forward to that. So, moving into books. Uh, I had a couple of great audios uh, this week to listen to. Uh, the first was Transposition uh, by Gregory Ash. It's book two in the Hazard and Somerset series. Uh, to briefly look at the plot, um, it's Thanksgiving time. And uh, Somerset has volunteered uh, himself and Hazard to be working on Thanksgiving, which pisses Hazard off to no end uh, because he'd planned a quick dinner that Wednesday evening with his boyfriend before Nico goes home to be with his family. Real quickly, what book is this in the series? Book two. Okay. Uh, And uh, then Hazard wanted a quiet Thanksgiving day. However, they end up taking a call Wednesday night out to an elderly woman's house who lives on the edge of town uh, because there's been some reported gunfire there. Uh, Once they get there, they figure out that there was, in fact, gunshots uh, and something and bullets did permeate her home. And uh, they go across the river to this lodge uh, where a corporate retreat for the weekend is happening and a murder mystery game is in progress. Uh, unfortunately, due to some heavy rain and that is followed quickly by a uh, bit of a snowstorm, the bridge washes out and their car washes away and they are now 
trapped on this little island that has no way to get back to town. Uh, and in real life murder uh, actually happens. Uh, they end up with Clue. They are ending. They end up and and play Clue in this house uh, in the snow uh, with bodies piling up all around them because people do keep dying. Um, what I love about this book, <laughs> there's so much to love because my obsession with Gregory Ash continues here. The slow burn between Hazard and Somerset continues. Uh, these these are enemies who've sort of found common ground becoming friends and colleagues, and you could tell that there's a love story coming. This is not a love story that plays itself out in a single book, and it still doesn't play itself out in book two. Uh, but it rolls perfectly against the backdrop of the mystery so far, and it's just it's stunning how he does this slow burn thing across the books. Uh, the clue-like setting with this forks proximity of everyone being trapped in this house and on the grounds of this lodge uh, worked so well because there was nowhere to go. There was no way to get help. There was no way to, to really keep everybody together because it was two cops against, I think it was like nine other people who were there. And they all have legit motive on the murders that happen, but each one disconnects from the other ones in some ways, just a little bit. Uh, it's truly fascinating. His mysteries layer up so much. I mean, we talked about in his interview a couple of weeks ago, you know, that Amy Lane figured out uh, the first book's mystery. And I'm like, how? And I need to ask Amy if she figured out book two <laughs> when she read it. Because I just was like, my mind just kept blowing at like all these different turns. The arc of the overall situation where there's something really foul in the town of Wareda continues here as well. So I need to get into the next book to see where that goes. Um, Greg's attention to detail just really continues to bring such richness to this story uh, between the characters and their settings and the way he writes Hazard and Somerset's internal dialogue. It's just amazing. And I really hope to learn stuff as I continue to read his books and just how to bring all, all that detail into my own writing. Um, and kudos to Tristan James, too. He's got such the perfect voice for these romantic suspense titles, and I loved it. So, yeah, Transposition, Book Two at Hazard and Somerset by Gregory Ash. Absolutely adored it. Fantastic. Um, I also read a book this past week. Uh, I would like to talk about Help Wanted. It is the first book in the Dad Academy series by Alison Hendricks. And this book came across my radar. Uh, and when I saw that cover, it was like, oh, yeah, let me check that out. And then I read the blurb and it's like, oh, hell yes. Let me one click <laughs> this immediately. Um, the book is about a guy named Eric. He is a big, burly uh, ginger sprinkles daddy. And what do I mean by that? Uh, he actually works at a bakery called Sprinkles Daddy. Um, and he has a young daughter. And she is in that sort of princess obsession phase. Mm. And... Um, <sighs> He's at a bit of a loss, uh, especially when it comes to, like, doing her hair. She just wants, like, a really simple braid or something like that, and Eric doesn't know what the hell to do. So he ends up taking them, her to a, a local salon where um, they meet Julian. He uh, owns the salon, and Eric's daughter, like, shows him a picture of an 
elfin princess. She says she wants hair like that. And Julian immediately says, like, oh, honey, we can do way better than that. So he sits her down and gives her uh, uh, elfin princess uh, makeover. And instantly, Eric is sort of struck by how, like, uh, handsome and warm Julian is, but especially the way that Julian uh, interacts with his daughter. It's really, really sweet. And uh, as we eventually learn, um, Julian has a young son. And uh, he's, you know, just like Eric, he's like trying to make things work. Uh, unfortunately, uh, his problem is, is his culinary skills aren't quite up to snuff. Uh, the best he can manage is like reheating some uh, uh, <laughs> uh, pizza pizza pockets in the microwave. Oh dear! That's the that's <laughs> the extent of his culinary knowledge. So um, Eric and Julian come to an agreement. Um, Julian will help teach Eric how to like you know do his daughter's hair, while at the same time. Eric will teach Julian how to cook some basic meals so that, you know, Julian and his son don't starve to death. <laughs> so it's it's something that, you know, these sort of like uh, uh, skill swaps, uh, they decide to like teach each other some stuff that they know, help each other out, that they jokingly call Dad Academy. <laughs> and while they're doing this and getting to know one another, they end up like falling for each other. Um eventually the emotions get you know real serious and um eric ends up getting scared and he puts the brakes on um and this is the classic moment in most romances where one of the characters has really you know commitment issues and does the classic you know it's not you it's me and usually that's a pretty half-assed way mm. to add drama to a story but What's really nice about what Alison Hendricks has done in this particular case is that as we get to know the characters, um, we really kind of understand um, Eric's past and why he's, you know, pushing back against the possibility of a relationship and happiness. Mm -hmm. So we understand where Eric is coming from. And we also completely understand how hurt Julian is by this. Thankfully, very, very quickly, Eric learns how massively he's screwed up and a big grand gesture ensues and they get back together and live happily ever after. I cannot express how much I loved this movie. This movie, I'm sorry, book. We're talking about books right now. Um, <laughs> I wish it was a movie. It's really, really good. Uh, I would love to watch that movie. Um, <laughs> uh this uh, perfectly feeds into my like nice guy kink. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a really sweet book. Uh, it's like wraps you up like a warm blanket. I know I've been talking about that a lot late lately, but uh, tis the season. It's cold outside. Uh, stay warm and read a great book like this. Um, I really like the way Allison handled the children. And what I mean by that is that when it comes to romance, kids in romance novels are usually um, plot devices. Mm. They're there to either uh, illustrate uh, the issues that the main characters are facing, they're there to add plot complications, um, you know, talk about different themes of like family and uh, love, that kind of stuff. 
Um, but what Allison does is she manages to create fully fleshed out characters, not only with our two leads, but the children as well, and the relationships of uh, essentially all four of them together. Um, they're really, really wonderful. I really look forward to the next book in this series, and I highly recommend everyone give Help Wanted by Allison Hendricks a try. Cool. I definitely want to check this one out at some point because... You've kind of raved about it all week while you were reading. It's like, <laughs> it's like awesome. Ah, I love this book so much. <laughs> and I totally agree on the cover, too. The cover is gorgeous. <laughs> so I also read another audio uh, this week. I picked up Ever After uh, by Riley Hart and Christina Lee, which has been bouncing around in our audio audible queue for a while now. And I'm mm-hmm. like, let me read that. Because what you've got your nice guy kink. I really have a thing for royals. And I mean... Th- that, that, that's unrolled a lot over the last few weeks. Uh, in this book, we've got Prince Merrick, who's the future king of Evergreen. Uh, and as we open, his elderly valet, Jeffrey, uh, has become ill. Uh, it's old age, and it's become clear he needs to retire. And the footman, Cassius, is appointed as uh, Merrick's new valet. Merrick's been watching Cassius from across the castle grounds uh, for some time. Uh, Merrick is Merrick knows he's gay, um, and actually his his prince's sister knows it too. Uh, but Merrick takes very seriously his duty to the crown and to the country, and that he must take a wife and have a child so that their family continues. Um, Cassius, meanwhile, also has a thing for the prince, and you know he he is ignoring his feelings completely, even as he takes this job, because the job's important to him to take care of his family who live in the kingdom as well. Uh, he is the sole support because his father passed away some time ago. Um, as these two spend more time together, obviously, you know, given the nature of the story, they can't deny their feelings for each other. And eventually uh, they give in to those feelings. Well, at the same time, both of them feeling like we, we cannot go through this. This thing that we're doing right now has to be the last time we do this. Uh, but uh, Merrick's sister uh, we'll have none of that. And she actually helps kind of force the grand gesture uh, that Merrick finally makes in inviting uh, Cassius to a ball. And, uh, of course, that doesn't go well. And Cassius runs off uh, because he cannot, you know, put Merrick's future uh, at stake like that. Uh, of course, there's a beautiful HEA here because with a story like Ever After, you expect a really awesome HEA. And we got all that. This book made me completely sob because the ending was so beautiful. It was like a movie. Um, I would love to see this become like a little Hallmark movie on its own because it would be so perfect. Uh, The royalty commoner trope here, Riley and Christina do it so well uh, because they both of these men know their quote-unquote place in society and they feel duty-bound to keep that. Uh, But yet each time that they push against those boundaries... So many sparks fly, and they just make that just, oh, it's so swoony. Um, and as those sparks, when the when, when Merrick and Cassius are being their true selves, whether they're just out on a horseback ride and, and wandering through the countryside, or they're learning about each other's art because uh, Cassius is a writer, and Merrick is a drawer, a drawer, an artist. That would be the right word, a drawer. <laughs> what is that? Uh, or whether they're actually sharing an intimate moment in bed. 
um, just it just crackles off the page. Uh, I mentioned Merrick's sister who kind of nudges the two together because she, and in a lot of ways, her brother are also looking to bring the monarchy into, um, into the modern age. Uh, and she kind of nudges for that reason. Cassius's family is also amazing. His mother and his two sisters uh, really make up some great secondary characters here that, uh, again, I can't, Riley and Christina draw the, drew them so very well. And a final shout out to Joel Leslie, uh, who's the narrator here. Uh, he's an ace with the accents, always, and he draws the distinctions between each of the characters beautifully. And his his ability to play emotional range, too, is just outstanding. So I highly recommend uh, Ever After by Christina Lee and Riley Hart. Want to hang out with us between shows? Check us out on Facebook. You never know what we might post. News about book sales, bonus video content, and maybe even a live broadcast or two. Like us today at facebook.com slash biggayfictionpodcast and see what we get up to next. And speaking of Facebook, don't forget on Sunday mornings, starting around 7.30 Pacific, which would be 10.30 Eastern, uh, we are live as we record each week's episode. So you can come check that out. Watch us do whatever kind of screw-ups we do, say hi to us on, on the stream, and have a good time with us on your Sunday mornings. Yes, if you haven't already liked the Big Gay Fiction Podcast Facebook page, please do so, uh, and hopefully you will hang out with us each Sunday morning. Yes, just like Angel and Amy and Victoria are doing this morning. Hi, guys. So on to our interview now with Kiernan Kelly. Uh, I had a great chat with her recently. Uh, she is one of Coastal Magic Convention's featured authors. We get to go to the beach at the end of the month. Yay. Yee, looking forward to that. Looking oh, forward to that. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> it was great getting to sit down with Kiernan to talk about her origin story and to get the scoop on her latest book. Welcome, Kiernan Kelly, to the podcast. It's great to have you here. Thank you. It's great to be here. Now, you're here as part of our Coastal Magic Celebration, uh, one of the yes. featured authors for that. So that's very exciting that we all get to go hang out at the beach next month. I can't wait. I'm so excited. <laughs> I love this con. What What about Coastal do you love so much? Coastal is, I mean, I've been, to, I've done a lot of cons in my, my career, lots and lots. Coastal is one of my favorites because it's very, it's, Jennifer keeps it smallish, so um, it's a very intimate con. Everybody is super friendly, super nice, super approachable. Um, so it's 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 kind of like going home, and it's and you they have she has so many fun events that go on during the con that it's just it's just a lot of fun. It really is. It's like going and just hanging out with people who enjoy <clears throat> reading what you write. Which is the best way to spend a weekend, I mean, in my yes. book, anytime. Yeah. <laughs> now, Will and I are going for the very first time this year. Awesome. You're going to love it. What's your advice for anyone getting ready to make their first trip to make Coastal, like, the best time ever? Okay. There are certain things you don't want to miss. Okay. There are staples of the Coastal Magic experience. Um, there is game night, which is usually the first night. Um, that were there. Uh, it's either a Wednesday night, which is the night before the con actually starts, or a Thursday night. Um, and authors sponsor table games 
where you just sit down and you're playing games with the authors, which is phenomenal. And they usually have some swag that they give out. Um, this year, my game that I'm sponsoring is called Unstable Unicorns, which is uh, it's a card game. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. That should be fun. Um, the other thing you don't want to miss is Cinema Craptastique, which is run by Damon Swade. There is nothing funnier than Damon in his underwear. Commentary <laughs> on a really bad movie. <laughs> um, last year we did Wolves with Jason Momoa, which was fabulous. That's a great lead-in to uh, yeah. to Aquaman this year. <laughs> yes, right. It was. It's. It's just. An, it's so funny. It's so incredibly funny, and everybody um, tweets about the movie as it's going on and they have trended every year globally for the past i don't know three or four years so it, that's pretty exciting and they've also they've had instances where the stars of the movies have come on <laughs> and and tweeted so that was pretty that's pretty amazing not always in a really good way you have to be careful what you say about these people because they watch they, when they're you know their hashtags come up and uh, mostly we're, you know, lampooning on the movie. So Because right. mostly know. they're really bad. We saw Damon do yeah. Glitter a few years back, yes. the Mariah Carey movie. Yes. Um, and we have Lunch with an Author, which is also a fun feature. Um, you can sign up ahead of time. Um, if you're there as an author, people will sign up to sit with you. Um, and it's a table of maybe 10 to 12 people. Um, usually they, people like to, you know, change, change it up and meet new authors that way. And you're just having lunch and chatting, which is nice. Mm -hmm. Um, and then my favorite panel of all time is flash fiction. Um, I've sat on this panel for, I think this is my fourth year. Um, and it's Damon, myself, Lucienne Divers usually on it. Um, and a few other people that change out every year. Um, and what it is, is the audience will give us suggestions and we come up with fiction on the spot. We tell a story. Um, it usually doesn't make a whole lot of sense. <laughs> Rarely makes sense, which is the whole point, but it's usually outrageously funny. So that's, those are, those are my suggestions. Nice. Yeah, I think... We'll try to get to all those. I know we're going to go to Cinema Craft because you can't miss that. But flash no. fiction sounds like a lot of fun, too. Now, let's dig into your career a little bit, because you've been writing for quite a few years now. Uh, what led you into writing and specifically into MM romance and thrillers? I started writing back in 2000. I was first published in 2005. So I've been around for a while. Um, I started because the year before friend of mine had introduced me to something called fan fiction, which I knew absolutely nothing about. Um, in particular, she introduced me to male male fan fiction, Lord of the Rings, which I had never read before. I read one and I was instantly addicted. Um, I found the, 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 the relationships between the characters were amazing and this particular story that I read was actually really, really good. Um, and as I read these these stories, I started to think to myself, you know, I, I bet you I could do this. So I started writing in fan fiction. Um, I wrote Lord of the Rings fan fiction. I did not write canon, not even from the very, <laughs> very beginning. Um, I once 
wrote that Legolas had a detachable penis. Mm. Okay. And he would just pass it around, you know, and he would be out in the kitchen having soup. It was it was a great story. <laughs> um, so that, that was the type of fan fiction that I wrote. But from there, I got such good feedback that I thought, gee, wouldn't it be great if I could actually write something original and, like, make money on it? So I did some research. I, I went online and I started hunting around for who was publishing. Now, at the time, one of the only publishers um, around that was taking um, – uh, male male was Torquay Press, mm-hmm. and at the time they had a contest going uh, once a month where people could send in short stories and then they would read them and they would pick a winner. That winner would win like fifty dollars. So I wrote a little short story and I sent it in, and to my surprise, I won. And that made me think, well, gee, maybe I can write something a little bit longer. So I wrote a novella and I sent that in, and they bought it. I was like, well, maybe I can write a novel. (laughs) So I did. I wrote Writing Heartbreak Road, and I sent that in, and they bought that. And I just never looked back after that. Were you considering writing at all before you got into the fanfic? I never wrote before then. I was an artist. Um, I used to tour Florida with doing different art shows, um, but I never really thought seriously about writing it was just not something that ever came up but once i started that was it i was done (laughs) and here you are more than a decade later now yeah that's that's awesome (laughs) how did you find getting into like the the nitty-gritty of telling a story did it just kind of flow well for you kind of the idea of structure or I think I absorbed most of it through osmosis. I've been reading since a very young age, constantly and persistently. I read throughout my entire, that's what I did as a kid. I was one of the kids that, you know, did not fit in. I was picked on, I, you know, the whole bully thing, usual story that you hear all the time. And I spent most of my time alone reading. Mm-hmm. Um, and I developed a huge love for reading and I, I kept that throughout my whole life. So I have always read. And I think I just absorbed the structure and the grammar <laughs> just from reading. Because my degree is in art, is in graphic design. <laughs> it's not in English. But that's great that, I mean, that you read enough to get it. I mean, I think all authors over time, you know, get, idea, get the concept of structure and everything if they read a lot, which is why all of the authors should, of course, read. Right. Uh, but to just take it in so much by osmosis, that's, that's pretty awesome to, to be able to do that. Well, I do confess I had some terrific editors when I was first starting who were very patient with me over at Torquay. Vincent Diamond comes to mind. This lady put up with more crap from me. She taught me. She broke some really bad habits that I had um, from in, in the beginning, right from the start. And uh, she taught me things that I've never, I've never done them again. <laughs> so she must have been a really good teacher. I'm always happy if my editors don't come back to me with like. I told you not to do this. Stop doing this. (laughs) (laughs) Are there authors out there that inspire you and what you do? Absolutely. Oh, my God. Um, There's so many. (laughs) I don't know if I could name them all. Um, In our genre, um, B.A. Tortuga comes to mind, who writes more than any human being should physically be able to write. (laughs) Um, Julia Talbot, uh, Shawn Michael. Um, Jody Payne, Tara Lane, Amy Lane, all the lanes. <laughs> it's, it's, 
<laughs> it just it just the list goes on and on and on and on and on um, of people that that just inspire me and I, I want to be when I grow up. What genres and subgenres do you like to write in the most? Because you, you work in romance and thrillers for your MM yeah. stuff. Um, I do. I like. I like fantasy. I like paranormal. Um, I like horror. I, I've written some horror. That's not MM. That's just horror. Um, because I find that the horror is a nice catharsis when to get away from writing the humor all the time. It's like being, you know, living in inside Disney World. Every so often you want to step out of there and go to Halloween Horror Nights. You know, you, just, <laughs> <laughs> you want to get away from the light and the fluffy and you want to do something a little darker, you know. And so that kind of balances it out for me. But I, I try and stay, you know, I like paranormal a lot because I get to make up the rules. Sure. Um, same thing with fantasy, although I don't write high fantasy. I, I admire it, but I don't write it. Um, what I've keeps you westerns. away from it? Just the 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 heavy amount of world building, or is it something else? It's it's mostly I think um, it it there take there is a huge amount of world building that goes into high fantasy, like you said, and I I think that's part of it. I don't. My schedule does not allow me to take a year to write a book. Right. You know, it just doesn't. And this, in our industry, you have to be quick. Um, and I, I just don't have the time to devote to make it a worthy project. Mm -hmm. Now, your most recent book is Uncaged, which is the yes. third in the In Their Own Skin series. Yes. Tell us a little bit about the book and the series overall. Um, the series is my shapeshifter series. Um, it's it's based in in this universe. Um, shapeshifters come in all different varieties. Um, there are they are mostly a an organic kind of shapeshifter that evolved naturally, but there are some that are man made. Yeah. Um, they are the villains. Um, in the first book, we meet the heroes of the story with who were uh, Jax and uh, Dakota. Dakota is a bear shifter. Jax is a wolf shifter. They meet in a ski lodge, um, which they proceed to wreck. Um, and the villain in that first book is a T-Rex shifter uh, named Kane. In the second book in the series, uh, we meet Kane's offspring, who are a pair of velociraptor shifters. Um, and we meet uh, Jax and Dakota's. Jax and Dakota have for, have founded this ranch for shifters. It's kind of a safe zone. And they go around the, the country and they pick up stray shifters and they bring them back to the ranch to live so they can live in peace and be themselves and shape shift whenever they want, blah, blah, blah. And the and Kane and his people, um, who are called the ultimate predators, they're kind of like a motorcycle gang, they want to destroy the Shifting Sands Ranch. Um, and in the second book, you meet um, some of the other shifters that Dakota and Jax have brought back to the ranch, um, the new generation of shifters uh, who get together with Kane's offspring. Um, and then in the third book, um, it's man versus shifter, uh, where man uh, reporters have found out about the Shifting Sands Ranch and how they're trying to um, expose it 
and there's a gorilla shifter in that one. Oh. All manner of shifters. You weren't kidding about like no, all no, kinds of shifters. Not. And every book has bonus stories at the end um, that I had written as short stories when the books originally released. And then they've gone through re-edits now and I've re-released them. But I put them all in at the back of these different novels so that readers get extra looks at this universe because they're all, they all take place in the same universe. There are moose shifters, shark shifters, uh, uh, bison shifters, all different kinds of shifters. Everything I could think of got stuck into these books. <laughs> That's very cool. And you've got other series that are in progress as well. How do you kind of balance between a new book and a series versus a standalone or a prepping a re-release? Well, um, you can't see it from where you're sitting. You see my storyboard behind me, but in front of me, I have a big whiteboard that's a calendar, and that's got every book that I'm working on is assigned a different due date. And I've got different days marked for what days I'm going to be working on what book. Um, usually, during the course of a day, I work on multiple books. So many hours for one book, so many hours for another. Unless I'm on deadline, which I'm on now for the next young adult book that I'm writing that has to begin by the end of the month. So I'm trying to devote a lot more time to that one to get that one out and in before the deadline. Um, so shifting is just, it, it, shifting between books, it's just a matter of think of planning. Mm -hmm. When you're shifting, is it, is it so much that you're writing different books or are you writing one and maybe editing another and prepping another one that's a re-release or? All of the above. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I try and stay busy. <laughs> Indeed. I think my mind might explode if I tried to write more than one book at a time. It's hard enough trying to write one and edit another. <laughs> yeah, I tell you the truth, I kind of like it because um, sometimes you get stuck. You know, you hit that bump in the road and stepping away and going to work on something on a different project allows you to go back to the original project with fresh eyes. So those few days in between can really be all you need to get over that bump and work things out and keep going. Mm -hmm. When you're writing in a specific story, and I, I think the the visual aid behind you might play into this question a little bit for the <laughs> for the folks who are not watching on the video. Kieran had mentioned a moment ago that behind her is her storyboard, um, which is this board that has lots of index cards. It looks like and other various things attached to it. Um, What's your process for getting the story put together and either outlining or not and you know, diving into the writing? Well, I, the first thing I usually come up with, believe it or not, it's like the opposite of every other writer I know, is the title. I usually have a title. And from the title, the story comes. Um, so when I'm creating the storyboard, the first thing I do is put up the title. And then I think of my main characters and I'll put cards up with their names on it. And then I write a synopsis. I hate writing synopsis. I think everybody it. does. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like the bane of my existence, especially when I have to write it for, if I'm writing it for me, it's okay. Cause you know, I don't care. I'll change it. You know, when I'm writing it for a publisher, oh gosh, I hate that. But um, I will write a synopsis, that thing. And I'll put it up on the board behind me. And then from there, I'll start um, writing scenes. And I will, each scene gets its own 
index card. Mm -hmm. um, so that when I actually, the next process then is to actually start writing the story. So once all the scenes are done, I'm just writing each scene. And sometimes that changes. Sometimes sure. what you see on the board is not gonna be what the finished product is. Sometimes the stories take life of their own, going wanna go in their own direction. But this is how I start. So you start with an outline and at least a, a map on where you think you're going, if nothing else. Right. I used to be a total pantser, by the way. Total pantser. Start writing, just go from beginning to end, and that's it. And then as I started publishing more and I started having more books on the fire, so to speak, um, I found that, yeah, I need to to do this. I need to have something in, con you know, something outlined because then... I, I, I lose I lose it mm -hmm. and I lose the thread and I, I start overlapping and that's never a good thing so what inspires your writing what what like gives you the the plot bunnies to go and create these stories because you write across so many different genre types I write lots of dares people dare me to write stuff it started my very first dare I'll never forget it was Back in the days of Torquay Press, when we used to do Live Journal, remember Live Journal? Mm -hmm. um, and they every you know, authors would take turns hosting their Live Journal. And what I would do is I would get up there and I would say, "Okay, give me you know, a prompt, and I will write you a little piece of fiction based on the prompt." Well, Elisa from Rainbow Reviews mm -hmm. um, posted that she wanted me to write an Amish guy. And a shake, a chic. And it was the first time I was ever stumped. I couldn't figure out how I was going to get the Amish guy and the chic together, with the cultural differences, and you know, and how I, how I I couldn't do it. For two years, <laughs> I worked on this because I couldn't figure it out, and it finally ended up being a novel called Cornfed. Um, which I dedicated to her because that was she was the first one who ever stumped me. But you got it eventually. Huh? You got it I eventually. Got it eventually, but it took me a long time to do it. But it, it kept burning at me in the back of my mind that I couldn't fix this. You know, I couldn't do this one dare that Elisa put out. And I finally got it out. Now, we should mention while we're talking about the dares, before we actually you know click the record button, we were talking and surfaced the 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 notion that you had done dinosaur porn once on a dare. It's it's true. It was on a dare. Um, I was talking with I think it was Taylor Law, another talented writer, and we were discussing um, at the time. Uh, it was a there was a big thing. Everybody was chatting about dinosaur porn um, and Chuck Tingle, who wrote a lot of this dinosaur porn stuff. Um, and, you know, Velociraptor takes the office guy, whatever. Um, and I couldn't understand how this guy was making a living writing this stuff. So I said, you know, can it be that this stuff really sells? So I said, as an experiment, and Taylor dared me, uh, I was going to write dinosaur porn and put it up there under pseudonym and see, you know, what happened. So I took the pseudonym um, R. Quarry which was stood for Rock Quarry, which was my, my throwback to the Flintstones. And I wrote a story called um, T-Rex Fisting Party. 
<laughs> because T-Rex, you know, with the arms, little tiny arms. <laughs> Um, I put it up on Amazon and it sold like crazy. I was like, are you kidding me? I couldn't bring myself to write anymore. That's the only story out there by our quarry. This is T-Rex switching party. But let me tell you, I had a, a, so much fun writing it because well, it was kind of like I was, I was having fun writing it. And at the same time I was going, oh, I can't believe I'm writing this. Oh. <laughs> That's awesome. So, yeah, folks, we will have that in the show notes if you want to go to Amazon and pick that up. <laughs> Coming back to Kieran and Kelly books, uh, what's a trait? What are your trademarks in a Kieran and Kelly book? You mentioned a while ago that you love to write, you know, get the humor in there. So I'm, I'm kind of guessing that's probably one of them. That, that it is. I, I write a lot of humor. Um, I also like banter. I like when my characters knit at each other um, in a funny way. Um, I enjoy that. I, I like sarcasm between my characters' dialogue. Almost always one of my characters is snarky. I like those characters. They're fun. Mm-hmm, yeah. It, especially if both of them snark at each other. Yes. Now, you mentioned earlier that you've got Young Adult going on as well. Um, I do. <laughs> coming up, that's, as we're recording, is doing about 10 days. <laughs> uh, you write under the name Dakota Chase for your Young yes. Adult stuff. And the next book in your Repeating History series is coming out in February, just ahead of Coastal Magic. Yeah, I believe uh, it's February. Don't hold me to that. It might be March. I think right. it might be. Hoping it's February. Let's put it that way. Fingers crossed on February, perhaps. <laughs> Um, tell us about that book and the and the series. Okay, the series um, is based on uh, it, it's it's a time travel series, hence the story, the name, repeating history. Um, it's about these two kids, uh, Ash and Grant, and they were on their they were both uh, they didn't know each other in the beginning. They were both on their third strike um, legally, and they meet in the courtroom um, when they go to appear before a judge. And they are both uh, given a choice. They can either go to jail or juvie, or they can go, they can agree to attend um, this boys' school called Stanton School for, for Boys. Um, it's kind of like a, a military ish kind of um, school where they would straighten them up type of thing. And they both agreed to do that. So, of course, they're thrown in as, as roommates because of the two newest kids in the school. And when they attend their history class, it turns out that their history professor is um, Mr. Ambrosius, who is actually Merlin. They don't know this, but they act up in class. He sends them to his office. Now, when they go to his office, it's full of all these artifacts that he has collected over the years. Um, and they get into a fight. They end up setting fire to the office and they burn all of these priceless artifacts. So Merlin is a little annoyed and he says to them, look, you can either, you know, we're either going to charge you with arson and you're going away as adults, or you can, I can send you back in time and you can fetch back every one of the artifacts that you've destroyed. And they think he's out of his mind, but they agree. And he winds up sending them back in the first book. They go back to ancient Egypt, which was Eye of Ra, where they meet, I can't even say his name, King Tut. Um, and they fetch back this amulet um, 
from King Tut. And the second book was Hammer of the Witches, and they went back to medieval Germany during the Great Witch Burning. Um, the third book was Mammoth, where they go back to 10,000 BC, where they need to get a hunting talisman. And then the book that's coming out um, early this year is called uh, Alcatraz, and they go back to um, Alcatraz <laughs> in the 1920s. Uh, and then the book I'm working on right now, uh, which is the fifth book in the series, is, um, I shouldn't even say it. <gasps> it's not even, it's oh, just for your, your audience. Um, it's, uh, it's a Western. It's called The Outlaw Trail. Uh, and they go back to the wild, wild west. Oh, fun. Breaking news right here on the podcast. Breaking news. <laughs> and I've got two books after this that I've, I've scheduled for this series. What sent you down the path of young adult? Um, back when Torqueray was a thing, uh, they um, decided that they needed, they had a, a drive to um, publish young adult gay fiction because there really wasn't a whole lot of available, you know, to kids uh, with positive role models in it mm -hmm. and a happy ending. So that was important. They, the happy ending, because at the time you had like Brokeback Mountain and you had, you know, all these other very tragic kind of stories, you know, and they wanted to give kids stories that were happy. Mm -hmm. So they started Harmony Inc. No, they did not. That was Drift Stream Spinner. They started Prism was their, their line. And uh, they asked me as one of their standing authors if, if I would be interested in writing something. So I felt very strongly that this was a good idea. So I took the pen name Dakota Chase and I wrote a book called um, Changing Jamie, which was probably the darkest book I've written as a as young adult. Um, I felt that I needed to have a very strong message for kids. And I had just watched um, a documentary and I apologize, I don't remember the name of it right now, but Nathan Lane was in it and it talked about bug chasing. Mm. And I had, at the time, no idea what this was. And when I did research on it, and I found out, you know, that it was these, a lot of young people that are, were purposely trying to get infected with HIV mm -hmm. for a variety of different reasons, I felt this is something that I need to write about. This is something that needs to be brought to the attention of the kids, that this isn't a good idea. This is not something you should be doing. So I wrote that. I couldn't write it for the main character in the book, but they let me write it for a secondary character who ends up getting infected with HIV um, by buck chasing. So that was like the secondary storyline in the book, but the main character got his happy ever after at least. So that was the first book that I wrote. And then that has since been republished with Dream Spinner uh, with Harmony Inc. And then I wrote Mad About the Hatter, which was a fantasy book. It was my ode to uh, Lewis Carroll, um, which I absolutely loved. I had a blast writing. Um, and then I started the Repeating History series. That's awesome. I like that. Uh, I like it when, you know, authors get passionate about YA and they, they yeah. have the stories in their head to put that stuff out there yeah. um, for that audience. Right. I, I can tell right now my my um, the way I write YA has changed a little bit. It's gone from being very what I thought didn't think at the time was. But what I realize now is preachy. <laughs> like I was definitely wearing my mom hat when I was writing those books <laughs> um, to to writing about characters who 
happen to be gay. Mm-hmm. The story is not about them being gay. It's not about coming out. It's not about, you know, it's just them being them. Just like you would read any, you know, young adult book where the character was straight. It's not a big deal. It's just they are what they are. That's how I'm writing the stories, like for the Repeating History series. Mm-hmm. I want kids to look at this and not think, oh, well, this is a coming out story. No, it's not. It's just like, you know, if you're straight and you're reading this, these people are just like you. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you're gay and you're reading this, this is this is just life. It's just you having a great time in this story. So besides the the new repeating history book, what else is coming up for you in 2019 that we can look forward to? Oh, my. Well, I'm working on um, the sequel to Seti's Heart, um, which Dreamsfitter just re-released this past year. Um, So working on a sequel to that. I'm working on a... um, serial killer book i'm working on a shapeshifter book i'm working on a very light and fluffy book that i'm really enjoying right now because it's absolutely nothing but fluff it's about a a kid's television host it's just very fluffy um what else i've got the repeating history series i'm working on i i just sold um actually just sold a lesbian young adult to Harmony Inc. Um, called um, Every Which Way. And that's that's coming out, uh, I think, at the end of September, October, thereabouts of this year. Um, what else do I have on the fire? I think that's about it for, oh, and I, I have to write the next, I write um, the Midnight Rodeo series with uh, B.A. Tortuga and Julia Talbot. And I've got my next book, is due on that, so I've got to get that started. And also, I write the um, uh, what is the name of it? There are so many now, I've forgotten. That's <laughs> another series I write with them um, that I have to get the next book out. And I'm, I apologize, I'm having a brain fart. I, I can't remember the name of the series. No worries. So, <laughs> lots of stuff. You got a lot going on. Yeah. <laughs> What's the best way for everyone to keep up with you online so they can keep track of this stuff as it comes out? Um, Facebook is always the best way to get a hold of me and to see what what's new with me. Um, I'm obviously on there as Kieran and Kelly. Um, that's about it. I've got my website, which is kieranandkelly.com. I've also got dakotachase.com. And I also... Um, have my books listed uh, on uh, on all the major distributors, Amazon, Kobo, iTunes. I've also got them listed on evilplotbunny.com. And I'm on Twitter and I'm on, you know. All Instagram. the usual haunts. The usual haunts, yeah. Excellent. Well, Kiernan, thank you so much for hanging out with us. I look forward to seeing you in just a couple of weeks at Coastal Magic. Oh, I know. I can't wait to see you too. I'm very excited. Thank you for having me. And a big thanks again to Kiernan for joining us on the show to talk about everything. 
if you're coming to Coastal, uh, I hope you will take advantage of some of the guidance she gave us on what to check out. Uh, I will certainly be looking forward to some of those things. Cinema Craptastique, of course, but also uh, the flash fiction sounded very interesting on how people sit there and get those ideas and make up some stories. Yeah, I can't wait. So excited. <laughs> All right, guys. I think that's going to do it for this week's episode. Just a quick reminder before you go that you can help support the Big Gay Fiction Podcast with a monthly pledge through Patreon. The additional support of our super fans helps pay for the cost of producing and distributing this show. Joining is easy, and you'll get special access to monthly bonus episodes, the opportunity to ask questions of our upcoming guests, and lots more. For all the details, simply go to patreon.com slash biggayfictionpodcast. Now, coming up next week, we've got Jay Northcote. He's going to join us to talk about his upcoming release, Better Place. Mm -hmm. Looking forward to talking to him. Yeah, it's going to be good. So, guys, remember, no matter where life takes you, the journey will always be sweeter when you have a book. Until next time, everyone, please keep turning those pages and keep reading. For detailed show notes and links to everything discussed in this episode, go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com. New episodes are available every Monday at all major podcast distributors. You can also find us on YouTube. I'm Derek McLean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. <laughs>